Welcome to Young Urban Zen. Uh, my name is Eli. I'm going to be leading uh, tonight. Uh, again, thanks to Alex for hosting. Um, before I get started, I just wanted to, yeah, it was funny. We, we actually lost people during the, the sitting. I don't know if it was my breath or, or what, just kidding. Um, I wanted to say this weekend when I was out, we were going to Golden Gate Park. I noticed the Yuz gathering happening in uh, the panhandle and it was um, brought such a, a smile to my face. Looked like there was a couple dozen people out there perhaps um, and just reminded uh, me of when we were all in the Buddha Hall uh, together here at City Center in quite large numbers. Um, and I know everyone's always interested on when such a, a day will return. And um, I really am hoping in the next uh, few, probably month, months, um, we, we do have plans as long as nothing um, else uh, flares up uh, in regards of, of COVID, uh, this practice that we've come to partake in uh, together. Um, so again, uh, my name is Eli. I'm a resident priest here at uh, City Center. And uh, tonight I, I wanted to, I thought it would be, be nice in light of it's March 1st and then transitioning from Black History Month to uh, uh, Women's History Month, I thought it would be um, fitting to celebrate the nomination of Judge Katanji Brown Jackson uh, to the United States Supreme Court. So um, yeah, with that said, I guess we'll get into the talk for tonight. So I'm gonna start with a short uh, yet symbolic kind of story, uh, pretty simple in, in nature. Um, but for me, it was one of those events that uh, multiple teachings that I've, I've had over the years kind of just sunk in. And I'm not sure if you've ever had an experience uh, like that, but as far as uh, practice goes, the, the story will speak to it in a quite literal sense and also in metaphor. Uh, but overall, this kind of event, you could say, um, or what happened, really rejuvenated and kind of re-inspired me to uh, practice in a, in a more intentional way. So to preface the actual story, um, as many, I think, children do at some point or another, um, as I grew up, I kind of picked up this little game, I guess you could call it, that I would play when I would uh, walk to school. And so I'd be walking along and this is, you know, way before, not, not that I'm that old, but it was before Walkmans were kind of readily available. There was definitely no uh, I anythings. Um, so this is, is way before then. But the game I would play is not to step on a, a crack um, as I would walk along. And so this became somewhat of a habit of being observant to where I was stepping. And really, it also carried over into running. Uh, I've always ran. Um, and, and so whether I was walking or running, uh, this, this habit of kind of looking at the ground, you know, 15, 20 feet in front of me, uh, sensing into my body and 
kind of just really right foot, left foot. Further in life, um, when I was exposed to mindfulness, I, I actually had a little bit more um, context maybe for what I was doing uh, all these years while I was paying attention uh, to my present moment um, and my present surroundings. So once I had a new language for this, I realized that I had been practicing for quite some time. And furthermore, as I understood a little bit more about Buddhism, I realized that this was actually a kind of a consistent mindfulness practice uh, that I had, at least when it came to, to movement. And so fast forward uh, to kind of present day or the, the last couple of years, I formed a habit that I'm kind of ashamed to even say, given my kind of stated values. And that is that I will regularly go through or knock through my emails uh, when I'm walking somewhere because I feel I'm that busy. So yes, I, it kind of pains me to admit that I'm one of those people. And I shouldn't even say that. That's, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, thinking that I can just uh, go about my business uh, and, and still orient to the world. And in part, I, I think that I've, uh, because I've taken on this maybe understanding or belief that I pay attention to my surroundings when I'm in movement, it's kind of like, no sweat, I got this. And so a couple of weeks ago, um, I was in motion from the Zen Center, which if you're familiar with San Francisco, is uh, in a neighborhood called Hayes Valley. Um, and uh, my dentist office is actually about a mile and a half away um, upmarket down in the financial district. So it's, if, if you know uh, San Francisco and you know Market Street at all, that whole stretch can be quite city scenic uh, for lack of better words and definitely busy. And so here I am, I'm like just kind of going around, uh, zipping along uh, in my inbox, trying to race all the emails that, that I don't need. I mean, I'm not really like answering emails, but filtering through them more so unsubscribing to the thousand and one subscriptions that uh, I never asked for. Um, and just really kind of, in a sense, feeling the energy of the city, it was sunny. Um, and so there I was off to the dentist's office. And so when I got there, I do as I normal do. I uh, say hi to the receptionist, which I've, I've kind of gotten to know. Um, Allie and Rebecca over the, the past years. Uh, I don't have horrible teeth, but I, I do like to keep to the, to the dentist. And so they know me by now and gave my hellos to them. And then went back uh, with the uh, dental assistant to uh, get into my, my chair. And so I go back there, you know, my, my yeah, normal chipper talk and I put one foot up, put the second foot up and I'm kind of lying back in my uh, my seat, and I noticed on the right side of my shoe that there's this big kind of brownish black blob kind of hanging off the side, and it's kind of wrapping around. and And I think that the assistant, you know, she's I have my mask on start this time, and she's triple layered. You know, they wear the mask over the mask, and then she has like the face shield. Um, kind of, you know, looked at me too, like. Well, 
I'm going to check that out. And so, of course, I took off my shoe and lowered my mask. And <clears throat> yeah, that is that is gray, a grade, a turd um, that I had attracted and stepped into this pristine and clean dentist office. So huge wad of dog duty right there. So of course I hopped up immediately out of embarrassment, ran to the bathroom and really got every last bit uh, of, of, of this off. Um, luckily I had shoes that I could really kind of do a good job, um, but uh, ran, you know, got back in there uh, with, with nothing on there because there was no way I could return with a dookie foot. So you know, in short, the, the moral of, of the story, but in a larger degree is um, if you forget to practice sooner or later, you will step in shit, um, quite fig you know, figuratively speaking and quite literally. Uh, now rather, uh, I know that was a rather long way to bring up the importance of practice, uh, particularly consistent, uh, ongoing and intentional practice, um, but it really, you know, was a... a strong reminder uh, for me uh, to, that I had not been practicing. And so um, back to before, before I had actually been introduced to uh, mindfulness and yoga, um, I like, I think most people related to practice is something that you do when you wanna get good at something like sports or spelling. And as I aged, I perhaps uh, kind of associated practice with something representing a, a profession uh, that someone's really good at or a professional does regularly like law practice or um, a practitioner of medicine. Um, furthermore, things like psychology and neuroscience uh, support this concept of, of practice scientifically by pointing out how the conditioned mind works um, or how neuropathways are influenced, developed, and you know, grooved or shaped by uh, beliefs and behaviors that we practice again and again. Um, in Zen practice, um, it's found uh, in every single activity that we do. Our, our great ancestor, the founder of Soto Zen, the specific school that um, our lineage is, uh, comes from, uh, Dogen said that uh, basically this was his fundamental teaching that practice is enlightenment. And so when we are practicing uh, intentionally, that is enlightened uh, activity. Um, it's not something that you achieve after X amount of times of meditation and years and years of practice, but it's actually in the, the moment of intentional practice. So in my story, by the time I even knew it, mindfulness was, I, I did have a practice due to the fact uh, of my experience and consistency of, of paying attention to how I move, uh, how I step in my environment. Uh, so to a degree, could say my practice was quite sufficient, um, even though I had not educated myself about mindfulness, uh, the science of movement, um, and, and this non kind of knowing and engaging in practice was quite special um, on reflection because it allowed me to have a certain type of freedom and a lack of judgment uh, like would arise on how I was doing. 
And so many things are like this uh, when it comes to intellect and studying. Uh, without actual practice, uh, these things, uh, these uh, concepts, ideas, uh, for the most part, uh, don't really have any life. And it's our experiential engagement which gives uh, anything life. Uh, in addition, before I knew about mindfulness, uh, this practice on how to move was something I did, uh, because I did it so frequently, I ended up doing it without thinking about it. And once I had a framework of mindfulness, of course, I fell into judging uh, whether I was doing, um, well, really anything, not just walking, kind of had this good and bad scale to it. Uh, and I would literally kind of judge my practice. And perhaps in this case, I, I found a sense of pride uh, or something or confidence in my practice, which led to me you know, ultimately stepping in in that. So uh, practice versus gaining uh, intelligence through studying, watching videos uh, is something that we often confuse uh, with actual practice. And this is one of the big points in Zen. Um, and there's many examples that you could put towards this. I don't know, this, this came up from earlier is just uh, weight training, uh, for instance, or exercise is very much like this. You can learn all sorts of things about the body through studying, or you can learn about the proper form, uh, what that looks like, or you could watch videos and, and, um, of, of people working out. And uh, perhaps that, that will give you maybe a better preparedness um, and ability to adapt uh, and, and gain progress uh, once you're actually lifting, but um, studying itself alone does not do anything for your strength or your uh, body mass index. So, if, uh, of course, I'm going to bring in some words uh, from Suzuki Roshi. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Suzuki Roshi, he's pretty top notch, but uh, he's the, the founder of San Francisco Zen Center. Um, and uh, so I was going to read a bit from Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. So he says, uh, the message for us today is to cultivate our spirit uh, or cultivate your own spirit. And you could swap that in, I think, for, for practice. Um, but he further on, he goes, it means not to go seeking for something outside of yourself. This is a very important part. And the only way to practice Zen. Of course, studying scriptures or reciting sutra or sitting Zen, each of these activities should be Zen. But if your effort or your practice does not have the right orientation, it will not work at all. Not only will it not work, but it may spoil your pure nature. Then the more you know about Zen, the more you will become spoiled. Your mind will be filled with rubbish and your mind will be stained. I love his, his choice of words sometimes. All right. Uh, it is quite usual for us to gather pieces of information from various sources, thinking in this way to increase our knowledge. Actually, following this way, we'll end up not knowing anything at all. Our understanding of Buddhism should not be gathered many by many pieces of information, seeking to gain knowledge. 
instead of gathering knowledge, you should clear your mind. If your mind is not clear, true knowledge is already yours. Or if your mind is clear, true knowledge is already yours. When you listen to our teaching with a pure, clear mind, you can accept it as if you were hearing something which you had already knew. This is called emptiness or omnipotent self or knowing everything. So we'll get back to some Suzuki Roshi later, but uh, to me, this, uh, this is a request uh, perhaps, or this asks us to trust our practice. Um, to me, and it's to call not to overemphasize being in our head as we go through life, but rather uh, being engaged uh, through the body um, and engaged in practice with an open and ready beginner's mind. Recently, uh, here at City Center, which uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I live at uh, our temple in the city, and we have every month uh, a gathering of the residents. Uh, we call it residents. Uh, uh, residents meeting, <laughs> and we come and discuss various things that are coming up in the, the community, and usually get into smaller groups and uh, are offered a prompt. And so the prompt this last uh, in March, or excuse me, not March, we just got here, uh, in February, uh, was how has practice changed you? And so upon hearing this, uh, the beginning of last month, I kind of urged me to, to kind of get into this talk um, along with me stepping in the, the prize uh, later in, in following weeks. But uh, anyway, how has it changed me? And so for the most part, I would say to answer that question, that practice has let me know that we have options in every moment of our life. You know, we can choose to practice intentionally or practice unintentionally. And then every moment it just starts again and again and again. And I think this is a, a very important point. Uh, Jiryu, uh, who's the Tonto or head of practice at Green Gulch Farms, um, our temple right over the, the bridge in Marin, just gave a talk uh, titled Continuous Practice, uh, which I recommend. Uh, it was a, a great talk uh, about how their practice period um, kind of got shifted uh, from what they thought. And it really is about um, practice engagement and how to cultivate a flexible practice. What came up for me uh, when he was emphasizing to have a continuous practice uh, was that actually we are always in continuous practice, whether we try to be or not. Our life itself is, to me, completely unavoidable practice. And so we're either practicing intentionally or we're practicing non-intentional practice. Um, so practice itself is unescapable. And so, uh, yeah, in that vein, I... Uh, I want to check in. We're not going to, not really, but just I want you to check in with yourself right now and try to sense in what your practice is right now. Like right now at this very moment. Are you doing breathing practice? Posture practice? Listening practice? Thinking practice, 
I know that when I'm listening to talks, I often do a lot of judging practice. Back off, back off, back off. Um, I hope perhaps you're doing some president, presencing practice uh, as well. And I also want to say that it's not that you need to constantly be assessing and reassessing your practice. That can be a huge pitfall and trap. So please do not spend or think that I'm trying to advocate spending time in your head wrapped up in judgment, um, but perhaps from time to time reflect on your practice attention, uh, reflect on what are some unconscious practices um, and, or some practices that could use a bit more of your attention. Going back to my story, when I was walking down the street, I was clearly in my head doing email practice, not very intentionally. And by doing, starting this kind of pattern, uh, time over time, or time after time, uh, what was once a mindfulness walking practice was slowly becoming something else. So it's also important to really understand how your practice is both intentional and unintentional, they always are interacting and can often cause tension. So I can say that practice definitely has changed me. Again, primarily giving me uh, the opportunity to practice with change and making change an opportunity to practice rather than something that just causes suffering. Um, whether it's a good change or a bad change, a good change I'm cleaning, clinging to, uh, a bad change I'm averting to. So how to actually make both of those something to practice with uh, that perhaps could be beneficial for myself and, and those that I cross paths with. So I can choose to practice or I can choose to practice not practicing, but I definitely may find myself uh, stepping in, in more shit uh, if I go with the, the latter of the two. And the purpose of, of practice also is not to have a perfect life where no turds are stepped in, um, but practice with the intention of not creating suffering for ourselves and others. And of course, when we do step in poop or we create poop, uh, making a practice of cleaning it up to the best of our ability. And this question about how practice has changed you does not just apply to us on an individual level. Um, as Buddhism becomes more prevalent, I, at least to me, it seems as though there's a kind of a collective awakening uh, or social emphasis on compassion, uh, equanimity, nonviolence, liberation, uh, interdependence, uh, as well as environmentalism, uh, consumerism, or, or capitalism. And I'm, and I'm sure and I'm not sure actually that if it's the crescendoing of, of all, you know, the suffering that is coming up in the world uh, with the amount of untruths um, that, you know, perhaps there's an inner sense to reclaim a sense of humanity in society, but it feels that the, the medicine that Buddhism offers is becoming uh, increasingly uh, important. So for me, the, the main kind of, source of this medicine provided so far, far as outlined in the Four Noble Truths, which basically says shit happens, and uh, more so the Eightfold Path, which are the 
kind of aspects of Buddhist practice which cultivate uh, or kind of in three categories, ethics, meditation, and wisdom. And so along with the Four Noble Truths, uh, these really should be the basis of, of any and in, in all practice. Um, and I'm not going to go into them into deep detail because uh, we're running out of, excuse me, out of time. And it's really a kind of a whole talk in itself, uh, but to review them, um, a lot of them, all of them say right in front of them. And maybe this right should be more taken as intentional, not right or wrong. Uh, but to review the, the uh, eightfold uh, is a right view, a true understanding of how reality and suffering are intertwined, right resolve, the aspiration to act with correct intention, doing no harm, right speech, abstaining from lying uh, and diversive or abusive speech, right action, acting in ways that do not cause harm, such as taking life, not stealing, uh, not engaging in sexual misconduct. Number five, right livelihood, making an ethically sound living, being honest in business and dealings. Right effort, endeavoring to give uh, rise to skillful thoughts, words, and deeds, and renunciating unskillful ones. Right mindfulness, being mindful of one's body, uh, feelings, mind, and mental qualities. And then last, right concentration, uh, practicing skillful meditation informed by all uh, preceding seven aspects. <clears throat> and, and when you're in line with, with these, you'll also be following uh, the precepts. Um, and you can look that, those up on your own. But so in Zen, we also have a great emphasis on what we call forms um, that really hold our and support our container of practice and allow us to be more present. That's the, the main component of it. Um, so I encourage uh, you to come to a Zen space and get the forms introduced to you and uh, know that it's an invitation to practice being present for yourself and others. I mean, you can also create your own uh, forms uh, as well. I also wanna mention uh, briefly the importance of practicing in relation to others uh, and to, kind of point at this, it, something came up for me the other day. I was playing with my daughter, Maya, who's four and a half. And if you've ever heard me speak, you've heard me speak about her. She was building some kind of really big kind of house, I think, with Legos. Um, and she often will build something and not quite have enough support, like the, the, with, the, with the blocks. And so it'll crash down and she's like, Papa, fix it for me. Cause she doesn't want to re you know, spend 35, 45 minutes that, that she built it. And, um, you know, I realized really quickly that I have to say no and I have to let her start practicing with mistakes and uh, making mistakes. And I have a strong practice as a, a loving father to, to want to, uh, engage or interact. And so I have to practice with letting her fail and, and become, and I also have to practice with, with that in myself. And so not everybody is obviously a parent, but um, I think this is true in, in all uh, relations, um, relationships that we have with others. So it's always important to consider, uh, you know, what's mine to practice with and what someone else is to practice, uh, something to practice with. And how those interact. So um, 
Yeah, any last things before I end with some Suzuki Roshi? Um, I also, again, just want to clarify that my intention is not for you to be overconscious uh, and judgmental about how you practice, um, but perhaps sometime take 30 minutes or so to uh, check in and, and really fill in what practice uh, means to you. We'll have some time to talk about it here in small groups, but uh, what are you practicing with? You know, what practices are serving you? Um, and what practices are at tension with others? Uh, it's funny, I hear a lot of times people say, and I have did this in the past, that, uh, well, it's important to be honest with yourself. So in the past, I've heard people say, oh, I have a meditation practice, or I have a yoga practice. And that practice looks like maybe doing it once a week. Um, and I don't want to discourage people, but just to say that that simply means that you practice yoga or meditation once a week, but I would say that your practice is whatever you're doing maybe the rest of the time. And perhaps you don't need to look at it as if you need to uh, meditate a lot more, uh, even though I would suggest rather than maybe just that big bulk to maybe, you know, do five, 10 minutes every day that they can be committed to uh, pretty easily and then work your way up. Or on the other side of that, your practice could also be maybe not to meditate more, but to cut out anti-meditative things like busying your mind. Um, so it's, you can go, you know, uh, there's no one right way, um, but it's good to really check in with yourself and be clear on what, if what you're doing uh, is meeting the attention or the deep intention that you work with. And so um, I'll end tonight with a, a little bit more from Suzuki Roshi and uh, just to say what other also came up for me and um, the title of the, the, this talk, I guess, if you saw in the Yaz emails, referencing the Forrest Gump movie, which is uh, probably actually came out when some of you uh, came into being. Um, there's a line that says, stupid is as stupid does. Um, and so I've converted that to practice is as practice does. So I'll leave you with that and uh, close with Suzuki Roshi. And this is out of um, Not Always So, another collection of his essays in the chapter, Jumping Off the 100-Foot Pole, which talks a lot about Buddha nature as well. So uh, Suzuki Roshi says, uh, this Buddha nature is not something that will appear in the future, but is something that is already here. If you have only an idea about Buddha nature, it does not mean anything. It is like painted rice cake, not an actual one. If you want to see an actual rice cake, you should see it when it's here. So the purpose of our practice is to just be yourself. I'll repeat that, I think that line is important. So the purpose of our practice is to just be our, yourself. When you become just yourself, you have real enlightenment. If you try to hold on to what you attain previously, that's not actual enlightenment. Sometimes you will laugh at yourself when you fall into wrong practice. <laughs> oh, what am I doing? When you understand how practice goes back and forth, you'll enjoy your practice. Real compassion or love, real encouragement or true courage will arise from here. And you will be a very kind person. We say, one practice covers everything. 
which means that when practice includes many virtues, like the waves of the sea, when you practice in this way, you become like a stone, a tree, or an ocean. You cover everything. Continuous practice is necessary, so do not rest. How to continue is to have a generous mind, big mind, a soft mind, to be flexible, not sticking to anything. Practicing in this way, there is no need to be afraid of anything or to ignore anything. That is strictness of the way. When we are not afraid of anything, we are impenetrable. To be completely concentrated on what you do, that is simplicity. Again, to be completely concentrated on what you do, that is simplicity. And the beauty of practice is that it can be extended endlessly. You cannot say that our way is quite easy or that it is very difficult. It is not difficult at all. Everyone can do it, but to continue is rather difficult. Don't you think? Or don't you think so? And he ends every chapter in his book with, thank you very much. <laughs>